This is The Beige and the Bold, and today we're watching Descent, Part 1. I'm Van Velding, and I watched this episode when it originally aired. And I am Grim from Keyword Malifaux, and I watched this episode probably at a rerun at some point during the original run of the series. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yep. In three, two, one, engage. Really good opening scene here where, uh, you know, it's Data, and he's playing poker with these great physicists of history. Yeah, it's incredible. I love this scene. It was John Lewis playing Isaac Newton over there. Yeah. And he's just hilarious in the role, but um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about Stephen Hawking. Like, it's incredible to actually see him playing himself in this position. Yeah. TNG was a big deal. And uh, they got Hawking to play himself, the only person in history in Star Trek to play themselves. Um, he's good. I think he's good on camera. Good line delivery. So, it really is. <laughs> you know, you like you have to consider how it interacted because they always said that with Stephen Hawking, like you had to wait minutes for him to actually spell out sentences to be heard. Oh, yeah? So, you know, like despite the fact that that's a known thing that's occurring here, it flows incredibly well. Yeah. So, I like that we talk about we debunk one myth. Um, you know, the Isaac Newton Apple dropping on his head being apocryphal, but we kind of feed into another myth about Einstein being bad at math. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's a it, lot of like self-referential humor within the, this little group, and it's just great. Oh yeah, no, it's it's great nerd stuff. Um, in the book, uh, Einstein gets mad and explains the origins of the myth. I think he was take, taking the test in Hungary or something. Um, but please don't ask me anything else about the book. I don't remember it. <laughs> uh, like I, I read a lot of Star Trek novels when I was younger. I just don't remember the, the specifics. I like the the talk about quantum fluctuations and Albert being wrong again. This is all physics talk. Yeah. Um, talking, I believe, is disproved some of, of Einstein's theories. <laughs> and it's fun. He has, so, and yeah. it's hilarious. Little the little machine here. He has to lay his cards down. I love it. Like it's just perfectly folded out. Yeah, that's the um, the production staff's work. So they made a little machine just for him. So, um, so it's a really interesting beginning. I don't know if it directly plays into our episode, the themes of our episode, other than just say Data's interested in humans and how they tick. Yeah, I don't really think it does too much more. I, I agree. I think it just kind of it sets the the tone of you know Data's. Looking into human interaction. Yeah. Um, you know, TNG's a really good episodic series. And I like I like TNG best when it's doing that. So uh, and so and to do that it has to reintroduce us to, to things we kinda know. But it does it to us with a variety and cleverness. But sometimes there's new stuff like this ship. Yeah, I'm very curious. Like I, I, I didn't look into the uh, episodes information on memory alpha, but I'm very curious to see if they ever identify what species this ship came from. I don't think they do. I think it's just implied that they uh, rebuilt this ship. This is just the the end result of the Borg ship. But it could be. It could be secondhand, you know. Yeah. That's kind of what I would feel, I would think, would be the case. Yeah. This is... Uh, 
we have I feel there's a lot of TOS beats in this. They beam aboard an outpost and everybody's dead. There's one of them. Um, we have maybe three main characters and a security extra in the away team. Not not to get too far ahead of us, but I'm just saying there's a big TOS feel to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice little science set they make up. Um, I'm sure a lot of this stuff is recycled from previous um, from previous stations and outposts they've been on, but it looks completely unique. Uh, it, I have a question about, like, you know, they, they, they figure they have the, the scanning equipment. They don't talk about life signs, but they're walking around just like nothing's here. You know, it doesn't matter. Everybody's dead. And I'm like, can you yeah. detect life signs on a, life signs on a regular basis? <laughs> oh, I you mean, they, can. <laughs> there's a lot of energy dampening happening. So like, that is we true. We can't scan a lot of things in this episode. They're just scan proof. I'm like, okay. You know, works for the drama. But immediately they let their guard down. They start aiming, wander, wandering aimlessly around. So. I mean, you see them come in hot and ready with their guns, their phasers, and they're like, yeah. All right, cool, everybody. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in our life site? All right, let's chillax. Margaritas? Ice cream? Yeah. So we've got to say, like, one of the things that's been a hot minute since I sat down and done and watched this intro, and it's always one of those things that harkens back to my childhood and brings back... Um, Nostalgic feelings and memories. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the idea of repetition to establish, I guess, kind of a tone and a signature. Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of, of Voltron as a kid, so maybe maybe I'm just predisposed to that. But, you know, the recycled formation footage and things like that. Um, but I think, uh, like, you can establish those patterns and break them, which I think this, this opening does. But in Deep Space Nine... Um, they have a pattern when they when they dedock the Defiant when the Defiant leaves the station. Um, you know, Cisco says release docking clamps aft, aft thrusters to one quarter, um, clear all moorings, and it, it's kind of like that way every time. And there's an episode where it gets broken, and it, they do that very differently. I don't know if you remember that episode. I do um, not. Not off the top okay. of my head. It's a crap episode, but <laughs> by breaking yeah. that pattern they've established. Um, you know, you, you, you tells you something about the setting. You feel something different. So. And here we go. Yeah, we got yeah. uh Jonathan Frakes, Commander Riker, shooting like he's a stormtrooper. I mean, they're all shooting like stormtroopers. It's like, wait, you, some of you people are experienced officers. Some of you are cyborgs. Um, you miss them a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's you know it's our it's our Riker scene. That's the scene where we get action. We see Data actually get rolled a bit. Mm-hmm. Daddy, <laughs> as a great hit from Data, but it's clearly a stunt double. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> um, but it's good. Like I call these Riker scenes because they sometimes feel obligatory. But this is intense. This is really intense for TNG. It is. Yeah. Sneaky Borg. Yeah. Definitely not Borg-like behavior at all. Oh, no. oh, red oh, shirt? no, red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, Worf. Disappointed me. The guy runs off and there's another way in? Come on. So this is one of our main story threads. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Data's like super pissed at this dude. I really like how he goes into this repetition too. Like, you know, like he's he's a machine and he doesn't know how to deal with it. And he's all like, he just yeah. hits the fucking repeat button. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't just like throw the guy down. He freaking goes into him and roughs him up a little bit after he's already down. It's vicious. There's so yeah. much that happens in this action scene. This is what action scenes should be. Indeed. And there, there are people who are like, oh, you can't talk like that. And it's, fuck you. Fuck you, buddy. You can talk during an action scene. Like, it should serve a narrative purpose. Indeed. And it sets so. up a really good scene later on with him and Deanna Troy. And we'll get there when we get there. But it's it's yeah. really, it's a really good setup for what's going to happen later in this episode. I really like that transport effect. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, so, yeah. And the run, which I don't, I don't get. You know, we, we learned some things as we go in here. I have no idea why they're running from the Enterprise so much. But I mean, my only speculation is, you know, like they they don't want to meet. They 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 know Data's in the area, but they don't want to meet him on their terms on the start on the Enterprise's terms. They want to meet them on the Borg's terms. Yeah, like we we learn a little bit more about their plan and as we do. It makes makes a little more sense. It's a fascinating cat and mouse game, but um. It doesn't really feel like it because we're not we're not focused on that part of it. Yeah. Um, it's just you know our bad guys have good reasons for the things they do that make our plot work, which is all oh. I ask for in the story. I didn't catch this that they actually did talk about that. Like in the little the the transitional blurb here, he talked about how Data has been asked to be removed from active duty, so he clearly would not be part of this meeting. Yeah, it's a little organic bit. Yeah. <laughs> Worf was like, no, no. no. <laughs> Worf was like, it's like it's more like fighting Cleons than Borg. No offense, Worf. And Worf was like, no, 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 that's a compliment. They were they were kicking ass back there. Yeah, they even <laughs> killed one of us. What was her name? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. When Marla Astor died, we were broken the shit up. But you know, whatever. Extra died. Janine Extra. Okay. <laughs> Janine Extra. Yeah, but they yeah they call back. To the Hugh thing, because they don't, they don't want to hit us with all the expedition once. They're slowly dropping us into it. Yeah. They're taking the time to unfold the story, and it's really good, especially across the two-parter. You know, like, you don't want to to lead with all this info. Yeah. And this is an episode that leans heavily on the Star Trek universe and the canon and the lore. <laughs> and um, so, like, you know, you have to ease us into that if you're still episodic. And I feel like TNG is stuck in two worlds where it wants its characters to have arcs and it wants to have like this universe but it all it's it's fundamentally an episodic tv show with morals at the end yeah especially in the sixth and seventh season i think you feel that a lot i could definitely understand and see that too yeah here we go getting a really really great scene here yeah, I mean, the data Jordy relationship is at the heart of this because Data needs a link to us. And Jordy is, you know, in story terms, that link. And Picard isn't. Just to be clear, Picard is not Data's link to humanity. I've watched the series a couple times. I don't know how you could come away with that idea. Just like as a general uh, statement of surprise. I don't, I don't know how a person could do that, but whatever. Um this has been your once per week Star Trek Picard knock. <laughs>
So I just, <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. They have a good friendship and a working relationship. And this, this kind of shows it. Really do. I love this bit. Like this is one of the things that's the highlight of the episode to me is, you know, this interaction about what is emotion? Like, how do you, how do you explain emotion to someone who doesn't <laughs> feel it? You know, it's the same thing as a smell or a sound or a, yeah. um, a color, you know, like you, you, you have no frame of reference and they address that bluntly, you know, like it makes you stop to think about things in a different manner. And I love that because that's, you know, that's one of the core things about this episode as far as morals go is, you know, like you don't always understand someone else's perceptions of reality because you can't understand what they're seeing or how they're interpreting it. And they do yeah. a really good job of that here. Yeah, I'm, I'm constantly amazed by the things that my friends remember about things that I've done, like little things I've done in the past. I'm like, wow, that, you remember that? That made a much bigger impact on you than it did on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like the subjectivity of these things where two people can see the same things and take away something completely different from those things. Um, Indeed. There are xenophobic, racist, hateful Star Trek fans, and it always shocks me. It always shocks me. Um, I mean, a little less. I've, I've gone on about the authoritarian, implicit, implicitly authoritarian messages of Star Trek, but it still surprises me. It's a lot. It also makes me a little sad, but you mean, yeah. that, that's the purpose of Trek <laughs> is to make us make us more one society and see each other together, but the yeah. message gets lost. Yeah. To understand those differences or something we need to understand, not eliminate. Admiral Nechea, the least liked admiral, I think, in Star Trek. Yep. I, so. I can understand why. She does a really good job of being a character you dislike here. <laughs> I she has her perspective, I think, on things. And she's 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 unabashedly rude to people. Um and when she looks at Picard and goes, I don't care about your morality, like maybe fuck off, lady. But um, I'm sorry, maybe fuck off Admiral. Um, but at the same time, I I don't really have this burning hatred for her, but um, I don't know Star Trek fans do. Well, you know, like you're talking about this just moments ago about like the authoritarian nature of Star Trek and then of course how um, it's supposed to unite us. And this is another one of those moments where, you know, this person who is part of the quote unquote enemy was shown to just be a regular person. So why do you need to hate them? And that's what this is, that authoritarian moment where Picard is defending that diversity and different understanding and subjective reality, and she is all about they're the bad guy just because they are what they are. You know? And that that comes to very clear in this moment. Like, I, I really like how they continue that theme and they continue to build upon it. It's in a good, you don't have to lecture me about the board type of thing. But he's still yep. to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in the fandom say, well, you should have used the weapon. I'm like, one, the weapon may not have worked. The weapon may have just hurt the Borg. And then the Borg may have said, oh, that really hurt us. That could have hurt us worse. We should destroy the Federation now to hell with assimilation. What if we sent two cubes? Um, yep. <laughs> equal odds of that happening. And in this eventuality, and I maintain... Maybe we'll talk about it more later. That as of this two-parter, the Borg are gone. The Borg Collective doesn't exist anymore until uh, First Contact comes out. And First Contact retcons this and reintroduces the Borg Collective. Um, 
And I think that that means up until we get that retcon that Picard made the right decision to liberate the Borg. And perhaps they're different, but they're far more understandable after this I episode. Agree. I'm getting ahead of us. Data was so watching right. porn in the holodeck. Yeah, Data was watching <laughs> the holodeck. Um, I, I love this scene too. Like, you know, like... There, there were a few things that just kind of put me off of this episode, but like, there's a lot of like really great scenes here, and this interaction is very solid. You know, like yeah. you talk about how Jordy is Data's bridge to humanity. I think you know Deanna Troy and some of those interactions is kind of the road. You know, like it gives us another insight into how Data is trying to reach out to humanity, and she helps him along the way. And this upcoming scene is pretty; it hits pretty hard. Like Marina Sturridge does a really good job of like trying to not reveal what she's actually feeling while at the same time, like showing that she's terrified. Yeah. I, I, I think I know what you're talking about and I live for it, but um, yeah, she's like saying, Hey, look, just because you got angry doesn't mean you can't try to explore that anger again. Anger can be a natural emotion. You know, you're going to the holiday trying to make up all these emotions, try anger again. Um, my previous co-host Derek always wanted this scene with Data and Troy. Uh, and I don't know if it lives up to expectations, but it's a good scene to have. I don't know. Like, I think that, you know, this, in what we're about to see right now is it's not playing out. Like, I think that this is, I, I think of it as one of the more iconic moments of uh, Deanna Troy's characters for me. You know, like, it's a, it's a thing where you get to see her and she does things, but she's like, <laughs> only sometimes really a main character. Again, you have that issue because yeah. it's Trek. Um, but you have this clear moment of her being a thing and her feeling out of her depth. And it's a very clear character moment that like identifies her as an individual with goals separate from the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she's just great here and we're setting her up because we're going to use her later in the episode. Indeed. Uh, we're going to use her. Well, I think it's just like this episode is well constructed. I know it doesn't hasn't impressed you. Uh, and I'm not blown away by it. Like, there's no emotional point where I'm like, God, I remember that forever. Um, I don't quote this episode. But I feel like it's just, it's just fucking solid. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, like, actually in the moment watching this thing unfold. <laughs> that happens to everybody. It happens to everybody that I do this with. Um, it's really great, like, watching Brent Spiner, like, try to convey this. There we go. Like that's the scene that I'm talking about. Like the, the the gentle eyebrows, the like the eyes. You know, like it's it's there. Like holy fuck, what's going on? Yeah, it's not just that Data was angry. It's that after he murked this Borg, um, he felt pleasure, and it's like, oh, oh, our killbot likes killing. That's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Here I go killing again. What we've we've made some jokes about him just being able to take over the ship whenever, and you hope they fix that. But uh, he is a scary dude. Yeah. Um, and we've seen what Data or an android like Data could do if they were let go. And it's, it's, it's frightening. So the notion that he could enjoy killing isn't super great. You know, we talk about the wharf test. You know, it really should have been the Data test all along. <laughs> um, is that for what, bad guys coming on? And Yeah. Yeah. Bad guys I'm, just whipping Worf's ass. Yeah. Oh, man. I never forget that terrible episode with the Ferengi beam on board and a completely by-the-numbers ship boarding. 
catches the Enterprise flat-footed and one of them just draws on Data before he can do anything. It's like, come on. They're Ferengi guys. That's not what they do. <laughs> They're just so bad at this. But anyway. And the Data's useless. This is a great scene. Like, I like how Picard is is frustrated. He's angry. Yeah. He lets it out and he recognizes immediately that he did that to the wrong person and he just completely de-escalates. Like, Patrick yeah. Stewart is an incredible actor and he always proves it time and time again. He's good. And I mean, I, I kind of protest the... Picard's been through so much and he's just the Borg guy. Um, but, you know, he is the Borg guy. He was abducted by the Borg. And he did have Hugh here and he did return Hugh. And now he's wondering if maybe he didn't fuck everything up. Um, I mean... I could see him being utterly terrified of returning to be Locutus. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know how Picard could go. They're aggressive and violent, and they tend to have like a a set of behaviors that are more like normal species. How could that possibly be worse than what they were? Um, but yet they are back. And they are unknown again. So, let's see who's and now Data's in the holodeck trying to recreate the incident Jordy's all like you just geeked another guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> just murdering Borg so I can feel feelings <laughs> I think this is more awkward to walk in on than freaking Data watching porn on the holodeck <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with yes because I don't want to do an empirical study on that I don't either but still so, um, yeah. <laughs> um, right, but it is an experiment where he's trying to subject himself to stimuli to, to, get his, to see if he can feel things again. So, um, and Jordy's trying to get data back into the game because I guess they need him to do this transwarp conduit analysis. Which is fair. I like how they, they portray that, you know, the increase has occurred. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He just throws this dude to the side, dead. And he's like, nope, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Damn. He's completely unresponsive. And again, it's just great work by Spiner. Yeah. Um, You know, we we tend to look at actors for like their emotional highs and their registers. The, The scene where... Picard mind melds with Sarek and has an emotional breakdown in his quarters. You know, that's the thing we kind of associate with acting. But a lot of what Spiner does is just like the really subtle stuff has data. And he's really good at it. Yeah. It's incredible just watching him play, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's the low registers. And, you know, data has, you know, my take is that data has his own emotions. So like that emotion that flitted across his face, that was, that was disappointment. And he doesn't recognize it. And the crew doesn't recognize it. Indiana Troy doesn't recognize it. But he does have those feelings. Uh, you know, like I was thinking about that. And I didn't know if that, that was him actually having the emotions or him um, mimicking humans. A learned behavior. I mean, a lot of emotional expression is learned behavior. We learned what emotions are appropriate to express and how to express them. That's true. I never really thought of it like that. There's um there's a quote from a book about domestic violence where a therapist, you know, asks her 
uh, ask the victims like, well, does he, when he, he's out of control and he breaks these things, does he break his own things or is it all yours? And, and the victim thinks back on it. She goes, oh, it's always my things. It's like, oh, he doesn't seem so out of control now, does he? It seems kind of deliberate. Um, and the amount of control that we, we exert in these moments is, is learned. It's unconscious. Um, I mean, the emotions are real, obviously, but how we express them is something that's learned. Um, and I say, even, even remember whenever he yelled at that guy because he was in command of a ship and the guy was being a racist against androids? And he's like, mm-hmm. get, get your shit together. Shut up. Um, like, that, that's a learned behavior, too. But uh, it's effective, right? It plays the same way. And we just saw Picard kind of temper his emotions to be a better commander and to show certain emotions to be better at it. I, I tend not to have a really high personal emotional register, so maybe that's that's part of my take on that. That's fair. Yeah. Here we go. Picard, I don't want to like presage anything from any kind of major motion pictures, but you should learn not to follow Borg so closely. Exactly. Stopping distance. Three second distance, Jean-Luc. <laughs> you don't need more than that in this case. Yeah. Like 65 million light year distance. Yeah. Oh, 6.5 million, I remember. <laughs> so, I want to say that that cloud effect is for you. This looks kind of familiar. But it probably is. I, I'll be honest with you. I was re-watching this episode and I looked away, I guess, two times at the exact right time. And I missed that effect when I was re-watching it. But yeah. So. I love how we've got... Um, you know, we know there's an accident scene coming up because we've got, you know, a red shirt off to the left over here behind Picard <laughs> standing there the whole time, and he well, never is there normally. They're on security alert too, sir. Look at work oh, do his damn job. You're correct. Mrs. Oh, damn. Oh, red shirt oh. down. Red shirt down. They're, they're, of course, the Klingon gets them. Yeah. Worf knocked this one out of the park. Ah, and just for a second there, Data looked angry. Looked ready to go. Franklin. His name was Franklin. His name was Franklin. <laughs> I'm saying they're they're giving you know season two TOS a run for its money in terms of red shirts. Like this one episode alone. I know, right? It's <laughs> like red shirt count. Put it in the upper right hand corner. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good tactical move by the board. It is. Um, it's probably one of the best boarding actions in Trek. To be honest with you, uh, it's sharp. It's tactical, and it's brutally effective. Uh, DS9 has way more boarding actions, but I don't think any of them are just cool as this one. And of course, there's a, a second purpose to this as well. we'll Indeed. Yeah. But, yeah, big fan of that one. Uh, again, just another, another scene to give us some action. And it all seems organic to what we're doing. I also like how in this scenario, freaking Picard is like, I don't care. This dude is the enemy. Wake <laughs> him up. I don't yeah. care if he dies because we need answers. Yeah. You know, and Crusher's like, oh, we shouldn't do this. This is bad. This is not ethical. This is not right. Hey, and he's all like, do it. Yeah. Because, you know, with Hugh, okay, that's different. That's one board. But we've got, we've got a huge ship in motion. We have a completely unknown board threat. We got to do this. 
I kind of wish there had been a throwaway line about his physiology being unknown. I mean, he's an alien from the Delta Quadrant, right? Yeah, dude, I will be. Yeah. So, um, you know, like he he might, in addition to being a Borg, he might be a completely alien uh, organism. So, I mean, it's possible that this dude was also a human, right? Like, there's a small possibility that that could be a thing. This is the horrible thing about the Borg is you know they're so invasive. Canonically. <laughs> There are some humans that have been assimilated by the Borg at this point, yes. Um, but yeah, it's possible. They, the Borg have scooped up some colonies at the edge of Federation space. Um, and they may have turned those colonies into Borg cubes to kind of operate autonomously in this region. That's possible. So, And we've never seen a Borg be so verbose. We would like them to go back to being quiet. Indeed. Because all he's talking about is how to kill. Do you think that really is an immediate death for us? Like, okay, ripping a heart out, that, that's an immediate death for a human. But I think if you shatter a third vertebrae, like, I feel like we would just lose signals and then die. Like, we would just suffocate, right? Yeah, that's how I understand it as well. Yeah. Well, third vertebrae... It's a high vertebrae. Yeah, that's closer to your neck. Like, it depends on where at, like... Is that in the part of the reptile brain? I honestly oh. don't remember. I mean, I know. I, I assume that's the neck snap region of Seagal yeah. fame, but yeah. um, <laughs> like I know it's immediate in movies. It would be immediate enough in this milieu. But if the Borg are becoming um, aware of the fourth wall, we're all in trouble. Here we go. Click the button. Ah, oh, so great. Um, yeah, and it's not. It's not that subtle. But <laughs> no, it's really not. Like it, even Data notices it. Yeah, I, I mean, even without the, you know, the energy effect and the zoom in that I assume are, are for the benefit of us viewers, even a Borg reaching across his body to push her buttons, like, Data, doesn't that seem, seems weird? Doing something? Doing something, Data? <laughs> no, like, yeah. this this next couple of scenes right here, like, this is where the episode is like, the, the early on, I'm like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. And then I'm like, okay, like. This episode, this part right here where we have in this interaction is not bad, but like in a few moments when he like goes full dark side, I'm like, that's not data. Like, I mean, parts of his brain are being removed and he's feeling feelings for the first time ever. I mean, you know, Anakin Skywalker speed run, I appreciate it, but, um, you know, like he's being manipulated on very basic levels, fundamental levels. And it's something he can't he can't directly control. It's a thing that is outside of his thing, but it's just it seems it just seems it just seems to like take the character and invert him so hard so quickly, you know? Yeah. And it, and it, it it's very, very abrupt and groundbreaking. Not that groundbreaking, but disorienting to me. Because that's not who data is, you know? It I see it as one of the better mind control scenes I'm, i don't i mean to be like difficult but i think we see a lot of real vulnerability from spiner where oh yeah absolutely he's losing control of this situation um and i think we see the vulnerability where he doesn't know how to deal with this but croesus does and croesus is um second hand to someone who's good at manipulating people um, indeed and i think that's for a reason because croesus is uh is he a dragon? Is that is that what the, the trope is? 
the incredibly uh, badass right hand man to the villain. Yeah. So. Um, but it is quick though. It is a quick, you know. Uh, data data gives some resistance, and he's like, "No, I can't do that." Croesus pushes him. Meanwhile, there's a Bajoran security officer here, here who's watching the full Lecter breakdown. And he's like, hmm, should I call somebody? <laughs> I'm just saying, that guy should quit playing Galaga for like two minutes and pay attention <laughs> to what's happening in front of him. He didn't think you would notice. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if this guy is like our third redshirt kill. You'd have to be, just off screen. I mean, yeah. Or maybe he doesn't even look up and Data's like, ah, he's, he's in it. But like, oh God, that, that Brent Spiner moment, like that, that disgust and like revulsion of people like just playing out in that very small, very subtle way was really great. I I mean, given the time we've got, I think it's a pretty good, you know, talk to the dark side bit talk through to the dark side. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. Like, this is like a lawful good character going full chaotic <laughs> evil and like I, zero I to 60. feel like Croesus is just escorting Data out of there and he looks over to, to Sheev Palpatine and he's like, a Jedi wouldn't tell you that's Bush League. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh. like, if I had a direct emotional shot, uh, Ethical shutoff button. I do it good too, Krosis. But yeah. I had Natalie Portman. Um, yeah, so. Uh, another stolen shuttlecraft. You gotta stake those things down, man. I don't know. Put a, put a lock on them. You know, like a little bike lock. Just put it over the nacelle and just. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, the other thing I'm like, kind of blown away with this is like. You get like all these security senior security officers who are using equipment. Did Jordy not notice you know notice notice the flashing button saying tractor beam disabled at any point? Like <laughs> you know, there's gotta be one of those flashing buttons somewhere. Look, a lot of those are for the lateral sensor array and then holodeck cinching it checks and <laughs> there's a lot of things that go wrong in the ship. There's a little glass case. It's like do not separate saucer. Yeah. Budget danger. Yeah. Budget danger. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So they're kind of getting up to speed on what we're doing. Um, Riker pops up with this information that apparently Krosis could have just downloaded command codes from Data's Positron. Now, I have many questions, Will. What, has he got a USB back there? Yeah. <laughs> That's a big leap to make about Croesus's abilities. But, alright. Here we go. Yeah. I think the board called Data an advanced life form, don't they? They do. They do, which is really interesting. Uh, I mean, that's what they, they see themselves eventually being, is positronic nets. I mean, I, I guess... Um, my understanding of the Borg is that they always just took whatever biological organisms had took their strengths, alloyed, you know, the weaknesses up, assimilated them as part of the network and just used them. Like they would use 
Klingons as like foot soldiers or something, and they would use telepaths as communication nodes. Well, you know, like that's the thing in this scenario is that we're talking we're not talking about the Borg, we're talking about the collective that is with lore. And <laughs> they see lore as the leader, the pinnacle yeah. of their group. So right. he's the advanced life form compared to so them. That's true. That's a good point. Where they are like, hey, he is advanced because, you know, we are now enamored with our new social order is enamored with those positive nets. So yeah. I mean, which plays through the whole Borg thing, you know, like it's a it's a society full of robots who come out of it and they're like, We don't have identity anymore. Now now we want to be this. Yeah. So it's easy to give them that basis to to build a society off of because they don't know better yeah and there's there's a lot to talk about with that as we get into um episode two um but like yeah it is a cult so i mean that 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 makes sense that their their value system has been rearranged um and then we've learned what they've taken out two other civilizations just cause yeah yeah well they need a basis to um to launch their attack from. And it's possible that that's actually where this ship is from too. You know, like it, yeah. they don't say what society, they just say societies. They don't say that they're human or anything like that, you know? Right. Right. So I mean, ostensibly we're, we're pretty far out. I want to say that it goes, what, 20 times faster than their highest warp? Yes. 20 so times assume, faster. I mean, they were, they were in that conduit for like a couple of minutes. So <laughs> I can only assume they're like an hour or two further away than they were but i assume it's, it's a ways out it's a ways out there so um these are new civilizations that they'll just never know about because the borg destroyed them yep yeah they talk about it they talk about the life science thing here where they're like we can't we can't determine things because all of the interference so i guess yeah. it, they didn't reference it earlier in the episode but they come back to it and talk about it again because that's that's kind of the cloak and daggerness of this episode is there's things that they're planning to do against them to help interfere with the Federation and with from to help interfere to stop the Federation from interfering with their plans. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is a trap. I like, they take down a lot of security guys. I mean, they said there could be 50 boards. So they take seven guys, but yeah, you know, it's something. It's Both actually, of them are all yeah. shirts too. Yeah, congratulations, guys. You're going to live this time. But yeah, and, and you know, all of this stuff is cloaked simply because it's part of the trap. The yeah, L-Boz. Yeah, that's the one that they've got that they can move around. So, See, there's apparently been a three-hour gap in there somewhere. So, Maybe there... I mean, that's maybe how long they were stuck in the um, wormhole. Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe that's how they were going for comment. So, um, but at the at any rate, we found the shuttle that da- the data and Croesus stole. We found the planet, and now we just have to find these guys. And I was yelling at this episode. I was like, "Oh, you're not going to use the shuttlecraft to fly around." Like, because you always forget the shuttlecraft. It's another TNG episode where they could have used it, but then Picard's like, no, no, I want to do low-level reconnaissance missions with the shuttlecraft. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty smart. <laughs> I mean, that's just that. Like, I love how they actually, like, follow the pattern of, like, hey, planning out a grid for searching, and, you know, then they they set it up to where everybody's going down. Yeah. And here we go. Like, army of Borg, army of Starfleet guys. And Dr. Crusher gets command. 
So I, she is the last member of the senior staff to sit in the big chair and have command of the Enterprise. Um, Jordy and Worth did it back in season one. Yar did it in season one briefly. Um, of course, Troy did in Disaster by default. <laughs> uh, Riker and Picard, of course, have done it. Data did it a few times. So and it's good. I mean, all of these people are capable of doing this. And we're going to see more of her in part two. No, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay, I have to say, too, one of the things that always that, that gets me about this scene right here is you got all of the people, you got a, a red shirt, but he's a red shirt with the big gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's the phaser rifles, man. This is serious business. They're breaking out the phaser yeah. rifles. So you, you figure, you know, they would ration out a few more phaser rifles to everybody, but, you know, you got one guy with the big gun, and he's no-name nobody. Look, he's the squad saw guy. You know, everybody else has standard issue weapons, but he's got the serious one. So, devastator weapons. I do not. Uh, I do not question the the use of the California scenery here. It looks it looks alien enough. I like how Troy's all like, "I'm just gonna lay down on the ground now," <laughs> at the peak of a hill, not really under what we call a cover. Yeah, but she redeems that because while these two people are nerding around over ideas. Um, she's like, yeah, so with my eyes, I can see, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a building. <laughs> well, you know, like, in all fairness, like, you're going to have to have somebody go over that, that peak and, like, being down low, that's probably your safest bet to actually look around, but it's still yeah. just funny how she's all like, I'm going to turn my back on where people would actually be looking and yeah. look at, you know, Picard and Jordy and not pay attention to them. Yeah. But, uh. You know, like, I think it's one of the better, like, technical away team missions we have. We, we beam everybody down. We do everything by the numbers. And uh, I think they even report back that they found the structure. They don't just go in and watch and not, don't tell anyone where they went. They're, like, incredibly competent here. It's a little scary. I mean, you would hope that they would be incredibly competent considering the composition of this group. You know, except for Frank over there. Well, with the big gun. I mean, th this crew has had some boneheaded tactical decisions. I want to note that icon on the top left on that banner. That is an inverted version of the Borg symbol that we've seen low-key on Borg sets before. Um, and I really like its use here, finally. And I also like the use of white in this color scheme. Yeah, red, white, and black are really good colors. Yeah, I mean... They work well together. Hmm? They work well together. Yeah, red and black are really easy colors for bad guys. Like that's that's just standard Evil Legion's colors. But throwing a little white there breaks it up. It's nice. Because it's some, yeah. some depth. So, that's a trap. <laughs> they calmly walk away. That's, that's the one thing I'm going to fault these guys on. But they, they were trapped anyway. Well, like I get that, like the door they came in, all of a sudden a massive amount of Borg. Yeah, you know, I like how did they not? Oh, 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 oh there we go. There all we right. go. All right, red shirt yeah. number four. I, I they only had eleven Borg suits. They just split screened all of this. Really? Yeah, it's great. Uh, I love this line from Troy. That's not data. <laughs> just using your empath to her uh, her maximum ability. I mean, she couldn't detect a building full of Borg. But, like, yeah, good for her. And it's lore. Data's evil brother. They don't really explain that to us, 
but um, it's menacing enough. It's a second yeah. data. And, I mean, the stunner of right long-running supervillain lore teams up with the Borg with the stated intent to destroy the Federation, and they got data on side. It's like, damn, son. Yeah. That, 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 that right there is a the moment where I was just kind of like, really? Like, I get that <laughs> they're trying to build tension and everything, but data goes from lawful good to chaotic evil in three and a half hours. All right, good. Uh, you know, he's going through stuff, man. He's going through stuff. Uh, final thoughts, Descent Part 1. You know, having talked it out a little bit more, like I initially went into this episode and my initial take after watching it the first time was kind of like, this is a horrible Trek episode. Like, it's just, it's not that great. Like, I didn't feel engaged. But like, having talked about it and seen the nuance that was put into the episode and the other things that occurred, like talking it out, I feel better about this episode than when I just watched it two days ago. You know, like it, yeah. it hits me a little bit more talking about and seeing those interactions and those things. I mean, I'm still major flag on this, you know, lawful good to chaotic evil. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, a that's a thing. But <laughs> at the same time, like, I, I can forgive that a little bit and say that, you know, this, I, I don't know that I would rate this an 8 out of 10, but I would honestly say that I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, if if Data were to have broken bad like the, um, like an iRobot, where he's like, my whole deal is that I have emotions now and I want to, like, help humanity by ruling them, I think that would be that would feel more organic to his character. I agree. I think that if you went freaking what 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 is it? Uh, who's the guy who wrote all those books? Asimov. Oh, Asimov. Yeah, when yeah. he's all like you know Asimov society thing, like I think that would have been a lot more accurate. Yeah. So, but I instead guess. he's all like, "Yeah, we're just gonna destroy it all because chaos." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we'll learn a little more in part two. I don't know if it's going to be enough. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I mean, you're, you're just supposed to be intrigued. You're just supposed to, like, stay tuned for whenever the new season starts. Yeah, I definitely got the hook. I mean, you, yeah. that, that's a cliffhanger ending that's like, all right, well, I mean, it's definitely the end of it, of season six, right? Now, now we're going yeah. to the beginning of season seven, so hmm. now you have to wait six months to a year before you get to see <laughs> what happens next. Jesus, it's not Rick and Morty. You have to wait, like, three or four months. It's just the summer, man. <laughs> yeah. It might be six yeah. months, actually. If, if it's made weekly in 26 episodes, you're probably right. It probably is six months. Probably yeah. Well, that's the thing is if you miss it, you know you're going to have to watch for the wait for the rerun. Yeah. You know? That's the thing is it's that's like, oh. So, um, but yeah, you know, the question for us, though, is will part two hold up and be a worthy successor to part one? Or is it going to be another, you know, part two that kind of feels disappointing? You know, look like at I agree. I think that that's a thing. And like it, judging this as a seven out of 10 instead of an eight out of 10, like the eight out of 10 really depends on how, on how well they play off the stuff from this episode. You know, like I recently read another series of books where it was like, they don't normally divide their novels into two parts. It's usually like one book, you get a complete story arc. And they recently did a book where it was like one part and then part two, and you had to wait time for that to come out. Mm -hmm. And I told people that, and I, and I told people that the first book I wasn't happy with until I finished the second book, and then yeah. things made a lot of sense. So I really should extend that same courtesy to this series. I think that's, I think that's a fair way to take. I would say, you know, forty-five minutes of Star Trek should stand on its own, and that's a bonus Star Trek Picard now. <laughs> There's a lot to ask, but yeah, we'll, we will see in about two weeks, and uh, until then, remember, remember Rand.